I think sometimes you can get absolutely overwhelmed when there is so much to do, especially in those early stages. You call yourself a CEO. I say that stands for chief everything officer, (laughs) right? Because you're learning so much and it can seem absolutely overwhelming. And you just like conceptually, you're like looking up at this ladder that has no top to it. And it's just, I had to tell myself time and time again, literally like one step at a time, tackle one thing at a time. And it takes patience to do that, but also faith that if you keep doing it, it's, it's going to be easier in the long run. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's show, we're going to talk all about ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-changes. What'd you think of that, Kate? That's the first time I've ever sang on a show. I love it. We're going to talk about change. Look to David Bowie right there. We're going to talk about change. And specifically, I have Kate DeGon on the episode, who is the founder and CEO of ChangeSync. To start off, Kate, why don't you tell me a little bit about you, your background, maybe start off with where you grew up. Perfect. Thanks, Les, and happy to be here. Let's see. I am currently living in the greater Phoenix area in Arizona, but I was born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin. So it might not be surprising that I'm down here in the sunshine and warmth because I no longer have an appreciation for winter as an adult. More heat, less cheese in your life. Oh my gosh. I, I, you know, I do miss the cheese though. The uh, cheese aisles in Wisconsin are I bet they're paramount. Good. Oh, yes. They're good. Yes, yes. So there are trade-offs with this. Sure. So growing up in Wisconsin, what was the path from like, you know, kind of born and raised there? Where did you go from Wisconsin? How did you find your way to Phoenix? Well, you know, it actually started out when I was in college. I wanted to study abroad. And so I went over to uh, Sevilla, southern Spain. And so that was my first opportunity of having a full year without winter. And I thought, wow, this is actually really nice. I could get used to this. And so, you know, the older I got, it it just seemed like the longer the winters became. And I just dreaded them. And so after after I graduated college, I moved to Milwaukee for a handful of years. And then I decided that it was time to go to the sunshine. And so I went and toured. The most sunny states in the U.S. and sunniest <laughs> of really? areas. I did. I, I did. Yeah. And I, I decided that Arizona was the spot. So I just fell in love with it when I got down here. It's, you know, wonderful weather, but it has has lots of mountains. I love hiking. Yeah. I love backpacking, camping. And then they have the lakes, too. Right. Surprisingly enough, people don't think about it. But down here in the desert, we do have lakes. So we had the opportunity to to do some water-related activities as well. So it just felt like a perfect fit for me. That's great. And what were you professionally? Like, what was the, I love it that you anchored it with like personal. Like, I think so many of us don't do that. And it's like, why not? Like, this is where I'm going to live. This is where I'm going to, you know, whatever, you know, have a life, raise a family, whatever it is. It's like, why don't we think about that more often? But I'm glad you anchored with the right, I want sunshine, I'm going to do it. What? But professionally, the side note, the sidebar, Mm -hmm. what were you doing? What were you doing professionally at the time? Uh, So before I left, I was actually a private investigator in Milwaukee. And yeah, knocked me right out of my Pollyanna world. 
I was going to say, like, this could be, what's that super popular, like, the murder history podcast? Like, we could probably go down that route. We're not going to do that. I've got lots of stories. I sure do. do. Wow, that's fascinating. How'd you get into that line of work? What what prompted that? Yeah, so my undergrad was in sociology, and I had an emphasis on criminology. Mm. And uh, so I actually, when I graduated college, I went into, into the staffing industry, right? So typical college you know, person takes, you know, the first opportunity that presents itself like, okay, I got a real job and I'm going to go out into the workforce. And so I was working for a staffing agency in Milwaukee and I was their Spanish speaking representative because I had just gotten back from, you know, studying abroad in Spain and I was fluent. And, but the trickle down effect from September 11th hit the the labor market pretty hard. And Mm -hmm. so especially kind of like the blue collar labor, labor market in Milwaukee, And so I ended up getting laid off from that. And so I had the opportunity to say, okay, you know, I really enjoyed my undergraduate. I loved that emphasis on criminology and was just more intentional and had more confidence, you know, after, after, Mm -hmm. you know, having my first job out of college and found a private investigative firm who was looking for a PI. And so went there, got the job, went and got the licensure through the state and started doing investigations all over the state of Wisconsin. And it was quite eye-opening to the other side of life that, you know, I was not, had not experienced. And so when I was moving to Arizona with Arizona as actually as one of the few, if not the only, I'm not, no, one of the few states that has a reciprocity in licensure with Wisconsin. So I could have come down to Arizona and continue to do PI work, but I thought, you know what? I, I'm done. Three, three, three and a half years was, it was enough for me. I had seen an eternity in that industry. I had seen enough. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so I decided to uh, exit out of that and still be intentional around, you know, what were my loves and my likes and having traveled and lived abroad, I had such and still do such a great appreciation for cultures and for travel and at the time, University of Phoenix, corporate headquarters here in the greater Phoenix area was growing and they had an opportunity in their international division. And in order to be hired, you either had to have lived abroad and or speak a foreign language because they were working only with students abroad. There you go. And so that was it. I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so started there and that was actually my first opportunity in change management. And I didn't even know it was a thing, but I was doing the work. And so that's where it all started. Wow. That's fascinating. All right. We're going to go back there in a second. Okay. But first, I promise I won't dwell on my fascination with you being a PI anymore (laughs) after this. But one question I think is really, you, you know, no surprise. You're the first private investigator turned entrepreneur we've ever had on her show. I mean, right. surprise. But I'm curious, can, and I always love asking founders, one of my favorite things to ask is like, what are some of the the qualities or the skills or the, the things that you learned while you were a PI mm-hmm. that are translatable to being a founder? Or like maybe some superpowers that you gained from that experience now that you have as a, as a CEO as a, and a, as a startup founder? Anything yeah, that's a really good, that's a really great question. I think there's two things. So one, you have to be comfortable working in ambiguity. Right, Because when you're in that space, you're trying to discover really what the truth is and not only in the facts, but in people too. So 
reading people, reading the room, trying to figure out, again, where that truth lies. And that is absolutely a space of ambiguity, but you have the pressure on your shoulders to get it right because there are people's lives at stake, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. The, the other side of that is really having the interest of curiosity, right? Always mm-hmm. trying to figure out why. Why, 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 right? Mm, so yeah. tell me the answer. Why is that? Why did that happen? Tell me more about that, right? And I think for founders, I think a lot of founders are very curious. They identify an opportunity, but they are always asking why and have that innate curiosity because they're solving a problem and they want to make sure that they're solving that problem correctly. And I don't think that sometimes we ever arrive because if you're a founder, you're hopefully your company is always evolving. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's always, again, kind of some space of ambiguity of what it's going to look like years down the road, but also, again, that space of curiosity to really dig in and, and figure out what is the right path. Great. Great takeaways. Great. I'm glad you highlighted those two things because definitely important qualities of founders. And, you know, I, I think like, I think it's the principle, is it with the five whys? Like if you ask why five times, five times. Mm-hmm. right, you get to the root of a problem. I got to tell you, a lot of founders don't do that. And, and not that there's, you know, not that I'm like picking on founders, but like usually they're so in it, in the trenches, like, you know, trying to spin all the plates, keep all the balls juggling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they maybe ask why once and it's like, oh, that worked. I'm going to do it. But, but the patience to ask why mm-hmm. five mm-hmm. times. Will get yes. You there. Yeah. Yes. Get you a much more well-rounded perspective on the decisioning. Very cool. All right. So if you want to hear more about Kate as a PI, you're going to have to listen to her on the best of true crime. I'm just kidding. You're not on that podcast. But <laughs> no, anyway, no. we're not going to we're not going to do any more PI stuff. I want to get into change thing. And specifically, now is probably a good opportunity to talk about change management, because that is the kind of universal thing, mm-hmm. challenge, problem space that you're, that ChangeSync is working on. So what is it? Like, why not? Maybe take a second or two to, to define it for our audience. What is change management? Yeah. So truth be told, it is a lesser known <clears throat> professional industry. And that's oftentimes because the work that we do is behind the scenes, if you will. Yeah. So Let me back up and set the stage of what change management is. It is a professional discipline that is applied when organizations are going through a large change that affects a significant number of their employees. So think mergers, acquisitions, enterprise transformations, enterprise resource planning implementations, right? Where when this change happens, people's day-to-day job will change. And some people, it will change just a little bit, but other people's jobs will change significantly. Mm. And so when companies are going through these big changes, they create a project. And on each project is uh, typically a project management team. They use specific software solutions that focus on things like timelines, tasks, budgets, And then the change management team is also on the project, but they are all about people. So they focus on who is affected by the change and how do we need to communicate, prepare, and train them to successfully adopt the change. Wow. Okay. Interesting. 
And so when you said that this, you first experienced this at the University of Phoenix in this mm -hmm. international division you were part of, what was it? What was it like? Like, can you make it concrete for us? Like that experience, like what was it like for you that you, what were you doing? What was mm -hmm. the pain point that you observed? Yeah. So when I came into the international division at the time, there were about 35 employees. So pretty small. We grew to over 300 in a matter of two and a half to three years. Oh, I see. So change, change. Is also can also be growth. That's, Absolutely. That's an example of change. I see. Yep. Yep. Growth. growth. Absolutely. So new products, new lines of business. Yeah. And growth. And so in all of that growth, there was significant changes to the employee population. People promoting new ways in which we were doing business because we were equivalenting foreign credits mm. to U.S. credits because we were really focused on students living abroad who were keen on getting a U.S. degree but from their home country. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to give them as much equivalency in credits as we could as one example. So lots of different moving parts from a regulatory and compliance perspective that we were navigating in order for this to happen. And so, you know, growth in and of itself is made up of a lot of incremental changes that need to happen in order to sustain that growth. And the same is for the downside, right? I rode that wave up with the University of Phoenix through all of the growth. And then now it's hard to find a brick and mortar institution that doesn't offer online, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. And so then we were managing change on the way down, closing campuses, doing many, many different um, reorgs and restructures as uh -huh. our market share dwindled because we were sharing with brick and mortar institutions. Yeah. And if you think about the, you know, the trajectory of any company, it's probably like the one consistent thing you can say across any company on any growth trajectory of any stage is change. Like it's, it's kind of ironic. It's kind of ironic yes. to say the one consistency is, <laughs> is change. But yeah, like, yeah, I mean, this seems like it's something that any, a, a challenge or problem that any organization would have. It's true. It doesn't matter size. It doesn't matter industry. They are constantly evolving. And if they're not, they're dying. This is, this is true. Right. We've seen many yeah. examples of that. Yeah. And so what is or what was, I know we're going to get into what your solution is, but like what mm -hmm. was maybe is a better way to characterize this, the industry standard for solutions or solving this problem? Because it sounds like everybody has it. Everybody's got to manage it. What do they do? What do they use? Like what's the, you know, the base solution here? Yeah. So they would staff change management teams, but the challenge was always that we were using disparate systems to manage the change. Mm -hmm. And so what the change management team does is they sit, again, within the project team, and they sit in all of the, the meetings with subject matter experts and functional leads mm -hmm. to understand, okay, what's changing? Not only what's changing, what's current state? Because if we're going to move people into the future, we have to be able to relate mm -hmm. the journey from what exists to t today's world to what is it going to be in future mm -hmm. state. And so we're eliciting all of the requirements around how are people doing it today? What does it look like? And how does that translate into the very specific nuanced things that they will do in the future? Once we know what that is, then we craft, you know, we've already discovered our stakeholder groups, right? And then we craft specific and nuanced plans that help each stakeholder group 
transition into future state of that change. I see. But all of that, it's a ton of it's a ton of work because you're creating a communications plan that might have upwards of a hundred different, you know, communications out to these various groups. Mm-hmm. You've got all of your readiness or preparedness activities, you know, bringing people together, announcing the change, answering the questions, helping them understand what does it mean to them, what's in it for them, answering all the concerns. You get past that. You typically stand up a change network, right? So people who live out in the business who are ambassadors and a like a, a formal extension of the change management team to carry forward messaging and work around the change to the people that, that they support. And then there's the training, right? So you're, you know, training people on, you know, if it's a new system, how to, how to do their work in a new system, for example. And then there's the sustainment piece. You know, once change happens, people naturally want to revert back to what's comfortable. And that's the old way. So you right. still... <laughs> No, 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 we're not doing yeah. that. We just changed. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for yeah. all of that hard work, Kate and T, but I'm just going to yeah. go back to doing what I was doing before because yep. that's what was easy and that oh, worked for me. Goodness. And so, what a wicked problem this is from like soup to nuts. Soup to nuts. And it's so much detail that you have to manage. And it's being managed with Excel or, you know, whoa, smart sheets now, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is basically just a different name for totally, the same a little, old... little fancier. Well, and it cracks me up. Like how many, but I think also think about this too, like how many billion dollar businesses have been built on, yeah, it used to be in Excel, right? Yeah. I mean, like you're seeing this. 100%. Right? That's just, yep. there's, it became the, you know, the hammer for all nails. Like, you know, yep. I, I don't even know how old Excel is now, but I guess before that it was Lotus, Lotus 1, Lotus 2, notes, 3. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, it's crazy that, that and, and so even today, there's probably what, like Fortune 500 companies that are still doing change management in Excel. Is that fair? 100%. Like the, all of them? The majority of them. Yeah, the majority of them. Yeah. These and yeah. Yeah. Wow. The majority, wow. you know, and so that's where they track, you know, the details. But then, you know, they're using a, a survey tool because they want to understand how people are thinking and feeling. Oh, yeah. Trending yep. through this change, right? And, and, and that's uh, probably also a tool that's being, Re repurposed, like it's like, oh well, this is a survey tool that we use for like customer feedback, and like we're just going to use it because there is no, well, we're going to get there. There, there wasn't a, you know, a, a holistic tool for change management feedback or yep. Yep. communication, right? Exactly. Now. So traditionally, we've used all of these, dif- you know, different tools in the toolkit to track our work. But the mm-hmm. big challenge is, is when. You know, you've got companies, these Fortune 500s and even ones who are much smaller than that, managing many, many, many change projects concurrently. And now you've got multiple people across the organization who are being hit by changes from different parts of the organization. Mm -hmm. And it's creating change, what we call in the industry, change fatigue. And people are like, whoa, hold on. Mm. This feels like it's not orchestrated. You're asking me to do X, Y, and Z. You're asking me to do ABC, but by the way, what you're asking me to do is kind of undoing what this person is asking me. It's just chaotic and there's yeah. no data or insight into change trends or collisions or dependencies oh, wow. of these really big projects that are happening across a company. And so it's it's a big it's a big problem and change practitioners spend days if not weeks trying to aggregate the data from all of these disparate 
systems than to go in front of an executive and say, yeah, here's how your company's trending through these multi, multi-million dollar projects. I mean, you know, a, a very small project is, you know, 50 million. Big yeah. projects are hundreds of millions, but yeah, yeah. they're managing their employee yeah. journey through the change with Excel. Yeah. Yeah. They're small. That's, that's not that many zeros. Yeah. That's small. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. All right. So now, now, now I'm super intrigued. That, by the way, that was a phenomenal kind of outlay of the space and the opportunity. But let's go back to, you know, experiencing this for the first time at the mm-hmm. University of Phoenix. And then tell me how that that turned into kind of like an origin story for you to start this company? Like, did you do it for a little while? Did you get some more experience, more exposure to the problem? Or were mm-hmm. you just like, this is a problem, I'm going to go solve it? Like, how, how did it all develop? Yeah. So from after I left the University of Phoenix, again, I was doing change management, but I didn't even realize it was mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, I, I moved back to Wisconsin for a couple of years. Couldn't get enough of that cheese. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I moved back. I had a a family member who was terminally ill, and I I went back and... No, no, thank you. I I went back to be part of her journey and and to help with that. that, (laughs) That's what took me back to the cold. There isn't really much else (laughs) that could do that. Good on you for being there for your family member. That's that's, that's special. That's that's important. Um, But point being, when I was there, you know, I still wanted to work, and Mm -hmm. American Family Insurance has their headquarters in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And they were going through the largest enterprise transformation in the company's history. And they had acquired three organizations, one of which was the general, you know, the insurance guy. Oh, yeah. The general. general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've already sang once on this show. I'm not going to sing again. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Everyone's getting the visual. Five, three, general. Call it. Yeah, whatever. Call it general now. Yeah. Jingle. <laughs> you were really close. I don't know what exactly I know. It either, was, but... I think, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, by 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 acquiring the general, they took their um, national footprint. I think it was from like fourteen states uh, to forty nine overnight. And oh so, my. yeah, yeah. So they they went through an entire enterprise transformation, and yes. they had a, a formal and mature change management team um, at the organization. And this is where, so they brought me in to help lead that transformation. And this is where I realized that change management was actually a thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I've been doing this forever, but I really would have loved to have had some of this, you know, nomenclature or, you know, materials to yeah. help people understand it and even myself a little bit better. And so I took them through this enterprise transformation. It was an amazing experience. They're an amazing company. They do change very well. And from there, I just can, well, I came back to Arizona. Yep. And <laughs> two winters was enough for me. Came back to Arizona and continued doing change management work, both as a W-2 employee and then ended up getting into consulting wow. across many different industries, many different types of change. And in all of this, I started seeing some very clear trends in you know, as I got better and better at change management work, I started taking on larger and more complex change projects. Oh, interesting. And that's and, where it became more painful. And when you, you know, when you describe the general industry, it sounds like very people-centric problem, very disparate tool, cent- you know, problem. That, mm-hmm. te- that t- to me leads, it's like, oh, this must be something that management consultants 
do quite a bit. And so you kind of, you know, through hanging your own shingle, it sounds like did a lot, did that work. Like you got in the trenches of change management on the consulting side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Always in the trenches, always doing the work. And that's where, you know, I started to feel the pain, right? Because project over project, whether it's with the same company or a different company, there are certain activities that you do in change management time and time and time again. But you're always starting from scratch Mm. and you're redoing it time and time again, which just kept thinking there's got to be a better way here. Well, that sounds to me like that's like the fundamental reason why you start like a SaaS company, like a repeatable mm-hmm. process that has challenges with scale that is like is clearly defined. Wait, why hasn't somebody else done this before? <laughs> there's only a handful of us now. Very few of us. Oh, okay. I, yeah, very yeah. few. And they're, they've only popped up in the last couple of years. And I think, quite frankly, you know, the pandemic, I, I think... Had a silver lining, if you will, on the change mm-hmm. industry, and part of that is because you know everybody experienced a massive yeah. amount of change in a relatively short period of time that was laden with you know high emotions, stress, anxiety, you know, in yeah. our personal lives, in you know professional lives. Right? It was mm-hmm. a tough time, and organizations came out of that. I think having a greater pre- appreciation for change and a greater appreciation for managing change well. Wow. And what we've seen in the industry is before the pandemic, projects by and large, projects, change projects were done project by project and change resources were put on those projects and they were, you know, stayed their course, went and did their work Mm -hmm. and that was it. They might report up to a director of change, but there wasn't, there wasn't an interest in seeing change at the portfolio level and then across an enterprise. Hmm. And I think what ended up happening is you've got at the very top organizations who are interested in, in understanding what change looks like across their company, not just in these siloed myopic projects. And then you also had the shift of power post-pandemic and even during pandemic of employees now having the ability to work from anywhere. Talk about the ultimate change. The ultimate change, right? So it was like from the top down, bottom up, needs, wants, and desires had shifted. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of that is change management who is responsible for the employee journey through change. And part of that is retaining employees and keeping the engagement of employees where it needs to be. So, you know, organizations don't take a dip in performance. And, you know, it's the now I think organizations, not only do they want to see change across the enterprise, they want to make change better for their employees. They care more about the employee experience through it, because Mm -hmm. if they don't, the employees will leave. Mm-hmm. They have so many more options now in terms of yeah. where they can work that it really did our industry a favor. Yeah. Wow. What a fascinating characterization of the space and, and just of the shift post-pandemic. Yeah. It's like if, yeah. 
it's like people don't have to work in Wisconsin anymore if they don't no. want to. No. I'm teasing. Wisconsin's a wonderful place. <laughs> it I'm is a wonderful place. I love it. Wisconsin. I love I just it. had to. But, uh, but yeah, like if, when you can work anywhere, mm-hmm. like you better keep those employees happy through the change as it comes, as we yeah. expect it will for, yeah. those, for the companies that are not dying. Yep. Man, what a journey here on today's podcast. This is cool. So now that we're in this new normal, how is that? I'm going to throw this back at you a little bit. How has that changed your business or has it? You know what? It has. It, mm. it, it has. So during the pandemic, we didn't have the enterprise reporting capabilities. And mm. I sat back and I looked and I watched and I consulted during that time. And I thought, you know what? Organizations are going to want to see enterprise reporting on change. They're going to want to see where pockets of their organization have too much change happening at one time. They're going to want to see the change collisions, the Mm. dependencies or the interdependencies. They're going to have a a want and a need to retain their employees and help help people through change in a way that's much more meaningful and feels like a much more concerted effort than what everybody experienced in this massive change within the pandemic. And so during that time, we built out enterprise reporting. Post-pandemic, that's exactly where organizations are going. So it has changed our business and continues to drive us, you know, into the future of change management work because, you know, for the first time, organizations now have data and visualizations around change. And that's driving their ability to make strategic directions around what type of change do they launch? When do they launch it? You know, is it taking into consideration all of the other changes that are happening across the organization? So all of these really unique things that are important to to strategic decision making during times of change, oh, yeah. they now have it at a click of a mouse and in real time. Brilliant. Brilliant. Is And by the way, is anybody else doing that? Or is this a very unique capability that you've pioneered? It's a pretty unique capability. We have one competitor that I would say is pretty close to us. There are some things that they're doing that we're not, that's by choice, and some things that we have that they're not doing. And I think that's wonderful because that's 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 competition one, totally. but two, it's it's the creativity behind the space and you know the and, and how a product is developed and the way that we're moving with our product, we really want it to remain relevant and modern because as work continues to change, our product should evolve to support the work that the change practitioners are doing to support the future of work for their organizations. And so a lot of what we're looking at right now is how do we even bring AI into our tool and have some predictive analytics around what does change look like? Because there's huge data sets in change mm-hmm. sync around change related data. Mm-hmm. And if we can do some really strategic and predictive an- analytics around those data sets, it can help organizations change even faster uh-huh. and understand what are their unique success metrics around change and leverage those, right? Just get better yeah. and better and better at changing, right? And if they can get better and better at changing, their change agility goes up. Mm-hmm. And hence, they can move that much faster, you know, to take them to the next level and ahead of their own competition. Wow. That's, yeah, that's exciting. You said it, you said something uh, a second ago that I haven't heard before. You said AI. What is that? <laughs> right? I'm teasing. I'm teasing. 
We've been talking it's a lot. Everywhere. We've been talking a lot about it. But I, I want to, I mean, you you basically, you kind of described the application, but I just want to clarify yeah. just real quick. So for your, specifically for the change management industry, it sounds like, it, well, from what you just said, that a, you think of AI as being a potential accelerant for progress in the change management industry. Is that, yeah. am I, maybe I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but like how, how else do you think AI will affect this industry in particular? Well, I think the work that the change management people will do for their organization will increasingly be centered around AI-driven work, mm. right? Because if you think about, you know, if you think about different, you know, AI applications that are being applied at the enterprise level, there's change there. And it will be the change management oh. people's job to yeah. help employees understand that impact of AI to their work. Holy cow, that's very meta. I didn't even I didn't even think about it going there, but that makes total yep, sense. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So there's that side of it. So yeah. change management practitioners will by the nature of their job be indoctrinated to the various forms of AI enablement within their organization and helping people through that journey. And then on the flip side of it with ChangeSync, the application that they log into every day to enable their work. Mm -hmm. You know, bringing AI into it to allow them to strategically query the system for some predictive analytics that they can then utilize in their own work mm -hmm. and leverage to help whatever the change is mm -hmm. be that much better and smoother because it learns what has worked in the past and what doesn't because ChangeSync has historical reporting capabilities. So when you complete a project, you're done, the resources are off of it, but all of the data, the insights, and the trends from that change project from last year mm -hmm. remain in the platform. Sure. And so project over project over project with the use of AI can really start to tell you how good your organization is at change and which parts of your organization are really good, why, and which parts need to perhaps be focused on maybe a little more change resistant than others. So just to summarize, we're going to use AI to <laughs> help evaluate how good we are at change. We're also going to use AI to tell us what we should be changing as a result of AI being injected in our business. Is there anything left for us? Can we just go on vacation then? Is that but who, who, needs, who needs humans anymore, right? No, yeah. Oh, I love it. No, that's great. I'm teasing you, Kate. That's I know. awesome. I know. Thanks for laying that out. That is fascinating because I, I had not even considered change sync as really being an agent for like this tidal wave that's coming over mm -hmm. all all businesses not just tech businesses right now so that's pretty yeah. cool yep what about so let's let's spend a couple minutes on your journey as a founder like when did you decide i'm gonna go i'm gonna go all in on on this and i believe you went through the coplex right uh, and yeah let's talk yeah. a little bit about that maybe just give us kind of a kind of a characterization of that journey as a founder yeah. So from the very beginning, I had this idea and I thought, oh gosh, I hope someone has done this already. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because you just know it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. And so I went out to the marketplace and I searched high and low and I thought someone has to have done this before. Come on, I'm not the only one out here, you know, doing this work that has had to have been frustrated up until this point. And lo and behold, I, I found a company. They were called Change Scout. And I thought, great, fantastic. Well, it ended up that Deloitte bought them. So now it was a Deloitte's proprietary tool. 
So unless you hire a Deloitte consultant, you can't use their platform. So I thought, okay, well. But I'm sure Deloitte's putting all sorts of great resources into making that platform more innovative and better. Not at all. No. We, no, we, we, we have customers who have used Change Scout, and That's they're like, yeah, it's That's so always much better. I know. So, but you know, at the time for me, I thought, well, you know, uh, I can ask all the change practitioners, you know, in my network, and they can all say this would be amazing. But the fact that there was one that was created and bought by Deloitte gave me some confidence that, that there could potentially be a market. And so at that point, I thought, well, I know nothing about creating a software company. Yeah. Uh, so I am not a coder. I am a change management professional. And so I asked around and I was referred to Coplex, so a startup incubator here in Phoenix. And I met with them and we went through some of, you know, kind of the design sessions. And of course, I had to help them understand what change management is and what it is not. And they said, hey, can you bring some of your work products so we can kind of understand what it is that you do? And I said, I would be happy to. Mm. And so I brought some of the stuff and they just looked at me. And they were kind of, quite frankly, speechless. And they said, wait a minute, well, are you serious that there's not software out there to manage all of this stuff that you guys have to do? I said, no, there's nothing. And they're like, oh my gosh, okay. This really hasn't been created. Everyone said, this, this just seems so obvious. Why hasn't yeah. this been created? I said, no, there's not. And so we really had some good wireframing design sessions and it became very clear to me that the cost to build this because of the complexity of the discipline it was going to be a lot and so it was very much work and pay work and pay so continue to consult in the change or the space of change management and part of that was by design because then i could continue to validate the build through my own experience, still being in the field, working on different kinds of change projects across many different industries. And quite frankly, it was also to save money in order to pay for the next sprint. And wow. so, yeah. So we're bootstrapped. Talk and about bootstrapping. Yeah. yeah. So it was, I wouldn't change it. You know, it gave me the opportunity to put enough time and thought and consideration into how it was built to really meet the needs of all change practitioners, again, regardless of industry, regardless of the type of change that they're managing or the methodology in which they use. And so that took a couple of years by the time we got it to where it was a true MVP. And we were slated to launch at the Global Change Management Conference in Anaheim. So it was super exciting. We had our vendor booth already. We had our materials. We had our demo all set. Yeah. And that was in June, was that? Of, June of 2020. Oh, I was wondering what it was scheduled for. June I of 2020. It might be sometime after March of 2020. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So what'd you so, do? Yeah. Well, it all got canceled, right? The whole world yep. shut down. And then yep. as we all know, the pandemic just skyrocketed from there. And it was yeah. very clear to me that you know, while we had users and re- had validated the the product, it was not the right time uh, to go out to the market in a larger way. Mm-hmm. You know, companies who you know had they had ChangeSync in place when the pandemic hit, fantastic, right? It certainly would have helped them manage large amounts of change that they were. But uh, to take on yet another change and try to implement a, a new product, let alone you know the investment cost of it, when people companies were losing money left and right. Obviously not the right time. So what we did is we just continued to consult and watch 
what was happening and predict, and I think I mentioned this earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, predict what uh, organizations were going to want when it came to managing change and what practitioners were going to need, knowing that work post-pandemic was going to look different than we had ever imagined yeah. beforehand. And so we just continued to build out new features and functionality. And one of one of that was one of those was the enterprise reporting capabilities. And so wow. we formally launched wider once we felt like enough noise, if you will, in the pandemic had settled down. And so that was in January of 2022. And thankfully, our bet that enterprise reporting was going to be a want and in some cases a need yeah. turned out to be true. Of course. Uh, and so we had positioned ourselves very well coming out into the market with a software that really was truly meeting the needs of what, what the organizations were experiencing in terms of change. Fun. And how was the yeah. launch? Like, did it? Everything went as exactly as expected, and uh... oh yeah, just like every other launch, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. You know Tell what? Us. We we actually yeah we thought so. We were first we were dead wrong in who we thought we would get the most interest from. So yeah, we yeah, figured yeah. straight out of the gates, we thought, well, maybe you know some smaller companies, you know, maybe five, ten thousand employee companies, and that was not it at all. It was large enterprise. And so wow. we thought, oh my, wait a minute. Were you okay. ready for that? I mean, were you? <laughs> in, in some ways, yes. And in other ways, no. Because yeah. what they were wanting um, was a little bit further ahead than where we were at that time. And so it was kind of that quintessential startup conversation of, oh, you want it to do this? Can it do that? No. But give us a month. And the answer will be yes. So by the time you get through the procurement buying process, it will be there. And so it wow. was this race yeah. to to build additional mm. functionality that was more sophisticated, if you will, to appeal to the needs of large global enterprises. Now, when you say race to build, that doesn't typically line up in my head with bootstrapping. <laughs> have you still not raised any money at this point? No, we have not raised any Whoa. money. Wow. No. Like, well, I mean, up until this point of the journey of the company. You've you yeah. have you raised money to date at all? No, we're still bootstrapped. Still bootstrapping. Still bootstrapping. Unbelievable. How, how did you race? How did you do the race without with boots like bootstrapped? How did you bootstrap the race? Well, you know what? No. You you'd be surprised. So change management practitioners actually draw a pretty nice salary. Okay. Yep. So worked long enough to reinvest back into the business. Yeah. So as a, you know, my husband's been very supportive throughout this as well. And so awesome. he's got his full-time gig. He's an entrepreneur too. We also have a, a farming business up in Washington. Wow. So we've kind of scraped Diver up. Diversified. Yeah, right. Diversified right? entrepreneurs. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Good for you guys. So, all right. So, how did the how did it go when you finally like landed? And I don't know, I don't know if you can say who some of your first customers were. If not, just like generally, like when you finally brought these massive enterprise customers on, like how did it go? What was what was they it were? Like? You know what? They were just so happy that yeah. there was a solution, and wow. because it's one of those that everyone feels the pain, and they want that pain. They want that pain to go away. And so, 
you know, it was actually pretty smooth. We, we, my, some of my business partner and, and people here, we've done so many uh, system implementations as change practitioners out in the field that we inherently understand how software is built, what the testing cycles look like, how to test, how to do, you know, the regression mm-hmm. test, you know, all these different things. And so when we build our software, we kind of change manage ourselves. Like we apply our uh, own, the change management process to our own internal teams. Eat your own dog food. We yeah. do. We eat our own dog food. So we make sure that, you know, there aren't bugs that people are getting, you know, the right features and functionality. And then when it comes out, it's great. And we also have an account management structure, which we set up from the very beginning, where each customer is given an account manager. And when it's time for them to come on, we have a very robust onboarding program. And and it's really geared towards understanding, you know, how do we set them up in the platform strategically to get the most out of their reporting and whatnot. So it's a very it's a very unique and catered experience. And that's, you know, what our customers have truly appreciated because I think people are, in a sense, you know, they don't want to do the 1 800 number. They don't want to call and, you know, get help. <laughs> they want to have right. a person who understands their organization. And everyone here has uh, a former change management practitioner. So when they talk to their customers, they know exactly what they're trying to achieve because they've lived the journey of change management in the past. Yeah, I got to tell you, I met when we met at, at Venture Madness, I met a few members of your team and incredible. Everybody has just, ju- you know, a, 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 as, as incredible yeah. of a background as you and it just speaks the language. You can tell you've got a deep bench of talented mm-hmm. people that know this space inside and out. It's yeah, awesome. yeah. I got to ask though, so there's probably some VCs or angels right now that are listening to this. They're like Mm -hmm. voraciously typing away at the keyboard, trying to connect with you on LinkedIn, (laughs) probably trying to like, oh, we got to get in front of this one before it gets away. Like, are you planning to raise? Are you planning to raise around or is is there going to be an opportunity to be a part of this amazing trajectory you're on for anybody, any any investors out there? Yeah. So we are planning on raising around. Yeah, we are. So we've gotten a lot of interest even from outside of the U.S. And Mm. yeah, so Canada, they have amazing change management practitioners up there. Lots of companies in Canada have change management in their organizations, the U.K. as well. So we really want to start expanding outside of the U.S. And quite frankly, in, you know, we've done demos for people in Africa, Nigeria, um, UAE. Mexico, change management practitioners are everywhere. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to raise some capital, really continue to build out the functionality in the platform, really from this AI and predictive analytics standpoint, and then use some of the raised capital to expand beyond the U.S. Very exciting announcement. Yeah. And what about what are you looking? What are you looking forward to with respect to the company's trajectory, uh, or anything else exciting on the business side over the next, uh, you know, kind of twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, great question. So AI again, super exciting. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night, but in a really good way. <laughs> so, you know, from a company standpoint, I feel like you know, going from zero right to an idea to to being where we are and have Fortune five hundred companies you know, using our platform is, it's amazing. It's an honor. And, you know, the more people that we can help make this journey easier in terms of change management is really what excites me. And I think the sky is, 
the limits. And it's fascinating now being on the kind of on the flip side of change management where I'm not boots on the ground leading change management, but I'm talking to so many big companies and understanding what they're doing, what's working well, what's not working well, mm. you know, what could be better and understanding the unique ways in which they're managing enterprise change and some cool things that they're doing. And I've never had this much insight into it across all industries, across all different types of change, even across international borders. Mm -hmm. And so what we really want to do eventually is take all of this information that we have and start to come out with some really robust change management insights and trends so that people have information about where this industry is going that they might take and consider for their own organization because that has never existed before either. And so just understanding what other industries are doing and how they're managing change and some, you know, what types of change. And of course, everything would be anonymous, but we just have large data sets yeah. that we can take and correlate that data and come out with some very specific industry trends for people to consider as they're making decisions within their own organization. It just seems like it's the dawn of like some really cool opportunities yeah. for this space. Yeah, yeah, it is. You're right there. You're right there. We're That's here. So exciting. We're, we're riding the wave. Awesome. I got two more quick questions. The okay. first, I'm curious, like, tell us about the, we've had a bunch of, of, really amazing Arizona guests on the show lately. I'm excited that you're another one yeah. from the Grand Canyon State. What? Tell us about the Phoenix ecosystem. Maybe give a plug for Coplex or just in general, like what's your what's your plug on attracting more entrepreneurs or that, that whole ecosystem development in, in the Phoenix kind of Scottsdale area? Yeah, so that's a great question. It's growing. I'm actually a part of what's called Startup AZ. Fantastic group. It was founded and managed from former founders mm -hmm. who were successful, made their exit and, you know, looked in the rearview mirror and said, that was hard and I want to make it easier for other people. And mm -hmm. so it is such a generous organization and they have events every multiple events every year. They have cohorts that they take through a year long sort of an incubator in a sense, but you get to work alongside founders who are at similar stages of your company and then have access to hundreds of founders who mm -hmm. really want to give back and help mentor, not at a cost, not at a price, but out of their own goodwill and paying it forward. So it's like this flywheel effect that's happening down here so in the good. ecosystem. It's so good. And yeah. you know, I tell people, you've seen Castaway, right? With Tom Hanks. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's how I felt before I was part of an ecosystem, before I had anybody as a part of my company. I was like that like, small person. Yeah. Like at Wilson, you like right? Wake up. Yeah, you're like, wake up. You're like, huh, I wonder what's going to wash up on the shore today. You know, I know. I, I swear, yeah. I had this like imaginary Wilson volleyball. Yeah. Like I felt like I was on an island and Wilson was like my only friend. Yeah. And, you know, now it's been such a blessing. I mean, yes, I have, you know, the people in my company and it's wonderful to have that. But I'm also a part of this larger ecosystem where if I have a question, I don't have to go out to Google and try to research mm -hmm. the answer. I can go out to the Slack channel, I can put it in the Ask channel, and I get the most valuable responses because there are founders who have done it before. So Isn't it's it? it's fantastic. And it's I'm so glad you gave Startup AZ a plug because I don't think we've talked about them on a show before. 
But you just got me thinking like, so Diana Vowles is a good friend of mine. We, yeah. we should, Diana, if you're listening, we should have you on the show. Bring Diana on. She's amazing. Episode. I know. She right. is amazing. All right. I got to do out. All right. So that's okay. great. Thank you for that. The second question that I have, and actually my last question, we're just about out of time. Uh, I try to get a little bit personal on this one, but I, on my last question, I've been, I was super impressed when we met, but I think the biggest, I mean, just your, your drive, your background, your character, like everything to me screams like this is somebody who has it all as a founder. But what I learned today, what I learned today is what I think is often even more common in a predictor of success for founders. And that is what is sometimes jokingly called the 10 year overnight success. Like (laughs) you, you have an unbelievable history and background, which like leads you up to everything that you've built and that you are today. And I was wondering if you could talk about the patience to do that as a founder and the patience that you've had in your journey to build something great over really an entire career of experience that you've had. Mm -hmm. Could you just characterize that? Because I don't think we encourage that enough. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's very hard, right? Because it feels like a hurry up and wait kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, you're absolutely right. Everything that I have done up until this point gave me the experience and confidence to to do this, even though at times it was scary and you're pouring all of this money, time, resources, blood, sweat, and tears. And in your weekend, you know, when you've got little kids, you know, trying to make this and it feels like you're pushing a, a boulder uphill for a long time. And, but at the same time, I think, you know, patience is a virtue. And I really am keen on doing things the right way, because I do think if you take the time, you ask the many whys five times, you'll get to the answer that makes the most sense. It doesn't mean that that answer is going to be the easiest. Sometimes it's getting to the answer that is unfortunately the hardest. And then you think, oh gosh, I was hoping it wasn't going to be this, <laughs> but it is this. Uh, the and right. yeah, and, and just keeping the pace and, and, and direction and, you know, literally one step at a time. And I think sometimes you can get absolutely overwhelmed when there is so much to do, especially in those early stages. You call yourself a CEO. I say that stands for chief everything officer. <laughs> Right. Because you're learning so much and it can seem absolutely overwhelming. And you just like conceptually, you're like looking up at this ladder that has no top to it. And it's just, I had to tell myself time and time again, literally like one step at a time, tackle one thing at a time. And it takes patience to do that, but also faith that if you keep doing it one step at a time, asking the right questions, getting the right information. And yes, that makes it even longer and that patience comes back into it. But that if you have all the information, you're equipped to do the right things, even if it takes a little bit longer and requires more patience to get there. It's, it's going to be easier in the long run. What a perfect ending to a great episode. I don't think there's anything else left to say. So I, I want to just, other than I want to thank you thank for you. being on the show. And to conclude, uh, well, first of all, to conclude, I think we're all excited to watch and see where you go with Change Think. So we'll be excited Appreciate to keep posted on that. And to just finish out the episode, why don't you tell our audience where they can find you and Change Sync online? Absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn 
It's under Kate Triplin, made a name Dagon. And our website is changesync.com. So feel free to reach out to us. There's plenty of ways to send messages or reach out directly. And Les, thank you so much for the opportunity to share our story. And it's always a pleasure chatting with you. You're such a bright light. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Kate. Appreciate your time today. Likewise. Take care. We'll chat soon. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.